Welcome to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit providing hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or who are searching for a better way to live. In this series, The Life, you'll study the life of Jesus. Who is he? What is he really like? Does he care about me? Rich and Susan Collenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from their lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. They found biblical answers and now share their experience of freedom on Freedom to Choose. Hello, everyone. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. And we would like to welcome you once again to Freedom to Choose and program number 69 on the series The Life. And uh, we're going to call this uh, program What Does God Look Like? What Does God Look Like? And of course, we don't mean physically, we mean who is he inside? You know, what's he all about? Um, and, you know, sometimes it, we're going to kind of talk a, a little bit today about how Jesus said some things to the disciples, but they didn't quite hear it or grasp it. And you know how sometimes when you're talking with someone and you have to say things four or five times before they finally it finally like sinks in, if you will? And I think this is what the human mind is, is, is funny like that. It looks—certain people look through certain lenses— Right, and so when you when you said the title, "What does God look like?" I'm I'm thinking about um, relationships that I have with people, or especially like with Rich, you know, my husband, and wondering, you know, in the weak moments of time, what I actually look like to you, and wondering if, um, you know, when when you get stressed out or whatever, and you're not uh, being um, the best person that you possibly could be, I wonder. Um, I know that Jesus never went through that because he was always um, this perfect representation of to humanity of the graciousness of Christ. And so, you know, I know that he was fully human and fully divine. And so I guess it's that um, that spiritual connection and that power that God gives through his spirit that helps us to um, contain the areas well, of our human nature that yeah. leak out sometimes, I Yeah, guess. weren't we talking about that last night? Uh, Susan says, you know, I'm sorry I, I was tired. I don't think I was as nice as I should have been. Or, you know, something to that effect, you know. And, and to me, uh, you know, I didn't really notice too much difference. But Oh, no, that's she, terrible. That's, Maybe I'm not nice so, at all, uh, huh? No, 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 you're nice all the time. But uh-huh. I, I did, I as I went down the hall in the back room, I came back out and I said, uh, then I say, um, I think you're a little more disturbed than you thought you were, and because you were really nice to me when you when I came in, and you go, that was all a facade, yes. you know? Yeah, and we do oh, that with some. Right. Yeah, yes. sometimes we do that. We put we we have to force being nice because we're super super tired, right? You and, know, and at that point, I was just really fragile in my own um, stress regarding work and. And just trying to keep everything pulled together. So sick it people, was, you're dealing yeah. with sick people, you're dealing with people dying, we're dealing with, you know, right. a lot of stuff that we're dealing with, and it, and it wears you out. Mm-hmm. And you and I, I know I, I'm the same way. I can be like riding a razor's edge with my emotions and being, you know, like 
knowing that everything right now is frustrating and irritating me and there's nothing I can do about it. It's just the edge I'm riding on right now, mm-hmm. you know? And but so you've st- you got to stop and think about that. Man, Jesus experienced that like once he began his ministry, that was like his daily life of people being sick and people in need yeah. and people being tormented. And yet he was able to... Um, through the character that the Spirit gave him he w- and his connection with God, he was able to always be correct to everybody. Yeah, he kept it all you know? in check, you yeah. know? Let's pray before we get okay. going, because I kind of wanted to continue with this. Okay. Lord, we just thank you that um, you do send your Spirit to help to guide and, and direct us and to um, uh, keep us in line when we're uh, falling prey to to our stress or worries or to tiredness. And we just ask right now that you would um, help us to experience the ideas that you have put forth for us today to speak to, that they would ultimately glorify you and who you are as a person and as a, as a leader in our lives spiritually. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, because I think of from the garden to the cross, the way Jesus behaved himself, Peter cuts a guy's ear off who's about ready to drag Jesus away. Mm-hmm. He's going he's gonna to tie his arms up, and he's going to drag him away. And what is Jesus worried about? He's worried about the guy's ear. Right. Right? And then they take him, of course, and, and and we go all the way to the cross, and he's hanging on the cross, and what's he worried about? He's his worried mom. about his mother. Right. He's worried about forgiving those that just nailed him up there. Right. So this guy's got that nature definitely in check, right? right? And of course, and, and, he, and he, when he needed his disciples the most, he goes to them when he's praying in the garden. He goes to them, and they're, they're asleep, and what's he do? He covers for him. He said, the flesh is weak. Right. I get it. Okay, you, you napped on me. Can you wake up and pray a little bit? And then he goes back, and he comes back again. Oh, you're sleeping again. Yeah, okay, I know. The fresh flesh is weak. And he never you know what I mean? He so just wouldn't it be interesting if like everybody who believes in Jesus has that graciousness or had like an extra half more measure of your personality in that area of graciousness, how that would kind of turn the world upside down? Yeah. Well, that or or they would hate it, hate us more, True. you know, because uh, they seemed to True. me like no one liked the nice guy back then. Right. I don't know what it is about, uh, you know, the Cain and Abel syndrome. Mm-hmm. Why did Cain uh, kill Abel? Uh, it says in the book of John, because his brother's Zach's were righteous. Right. And his weren't. Right. You know, so the, the devil doesn't like good people. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to influence other people on this planet to, for lack of a better term, um, take out or whatever to to persecute. eliminate, persecute mm-hmm. whatever good people. Right. I mean, it's just the way it's been that from the inception of time. Right. Um, and so we go through and we look at all that. So talking now about not being able to see something, even though someone explains it, we think about the upper room, and, and today's program is based on John 13 and John 14 and 15, and if we get to 16 and 17... But the settings, the upper room, and at the Last Supper, Jesus looks at his disciples, and he always, I'm sure, looked at them with love and sympathy, Um, but he says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Judas had already left, and Jesus was alone with the eleven, and he says, little children, 
Yet a little while I am with you, ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. So Right, because Jesus was soon to leave them this lonely little group, and he knew that they were going to be attacked by the enemy and that Satan's craft is most successful against those who are depressed by difficulties. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. Been depressed and know that Satan's out just hammering you? And so Jesus tried to point them away from the things that are seen to the things that are unseen. And that's second Paul talked about that in Second Corinthians four eighteen. Yeah, and you know, there's a, there's a saying: when there's a will to fail, obstacles will be found. I I, I was listening this morning um, to something, and they they were talking about how you have these eleven guys at this time, and the and the mission that they're they're strapped with. Mm-hmm. is to take this message to the entire world, and yet here their leader is saying, hey, I'm not going to be with you, but here, you know, here's what you're going to do. What do you mean you're not going to be with us, mm-hmm. you know? And tw- 12 people to take with without cell phones, right. without AM radio, mm-hmm. all without any of that, they're going to take this message to the entire world, disseminate it in a, in a fabulous way. So... You know, he's trying now to get them up to 30,000 feet, if you will, and look at the big picture. So he he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also." And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Right. So he's trying to get them to see a bigger picture. Right. right? And and he continues on saying, it was because of your sake that I came into the world and I am working on your behalf. When I go away, I will still work intensely for you. I came into the world to reveal myself to you that you might believe. And I go to the Father to cooperate with him in your behalf. Yeah. Now keep in mind... The prevailing mindset of the Messiah in that time and in that economy and in that place was for him to come and free the Jewish nation from the Romans. Right. That's what the Messiah is supposed to. Now, he's talking about going to the Father, and he's going to build— And And he's going to leave them. He's going to leave them, and he's talking about fixing them mentally, not freeing them from some oppressive— Rule. Go- He's right. talking about Earthly government. Yeah, we're talking big picture here, people. I'm going to go, and I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself. But there's a there's something you know. This Messiah thing is way bigger. But see, I think that um, you know we can always, and we've talked about this in the past, how we can always look back on history and and on the disciples, and we can see what they were doing. But I think we do the same thing today. You know, mm-hmm. we're looking for God to come and to rescue us from our current situation, and God is saying, but I have this much y- yeah. bigger picture that doesn't even involve this earthly existence. Right. And and, and, and we lose sight of that. We're, we're so stuck on the—and I think God has to understand it because as human beings, we see the here and the now, what we can actually see and touch and experience, and to— Try to focus on something that's not in our experience, the yeah. right? And in some of our cases, our experience here on Earth is not a good experience, right? 
So how do we ever escape that and try to see something that's beyond our imagination? Yeah. Or our reality, and that's where that's where the Bible comes in. And as you can see, um, and Jesus is talking, is it doesn't mean a final separation. He was going to go prepare a place for them that he would come again. Now they trusted in him up to this point, but now he's speaking a little bit different language. He's speaking really, really big picture, and he's not speaking commonplace Messiah talk that that everybody was talking about up until Jesus did come. And so he's building mansions for them. They were there. They were supposed to, at that point in time, to build their characters. Right. And, right. The, and, and they were all still very perplexed. And Thomas, who always was troubled by doubt, said, Lord, we don't know whether you, where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, this is something that we, we need to talk about a little bit, because he says, no man, no man come unto the Father except by me. Okay? Mm-hmm. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man come to the Father but me. The, since the first gospel sermon was preached in Eden, it was declared that the seed of the woman— Jesus would bruise the serpent's head. Jesus has always been uplifted as the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way ever since Eden. He mm-hmm. was the seed of the woman that was going to come and bruise the head of the serpent. Right. So he was the way when Adam lived. Yep. When Abel presented to God the blood of the slain lamb, that represented Jesus, who was the redeemer. Right. He was looking forward. You know, Job Job sacrificed for his children. That's the first—actually, you know, Genesis is not the first book of the Bible. Job, Job, the book of Job was the first book written. And there you have Job sacrificing for his kids, not in an appeasement to an angry God, but showing that he believed that there is going to become— there, there will be coming a Lamb of God. And at the end of the book of Job, Job says, I know my Redeemer lives, and with my eyes I shall see him. Right. He, that's Jesus who he is talking about. Jesus has— been the only way. And so when you say he offered sacrifices not to appease God, what he was trying to say is that, God, I, I need you to intervene between my children and the evil one. Exactly. There, there's no, you know, our whole purpose in life is to re- be reunited with God. Yeah. We don't want anybody in between us and the Father. You yep. know, Hebrews said we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We don't need to be afraid of God. We need to be afraid of the things that separate us from yeah, God. And that's that's our carnal nature and, the, and the, the darts, the fiery darts that the devil throws at us. The reason they needed a lamb without blemish that was, and it was a lamb, was, I, I don't know if you can imagine, but can you imagine taking one of your Ugh, pets right. and, sa- and, and slitting its throat? This is what it was like back then. What that represented was the sacrifice that God went through when he gave up his son. Right. What do you feel right then? It's ugly. Right. And th- God is saying, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm going to feel. This is how I've felt since the foundation of the earth is I've got to, sa- I've got to give my son up to a race that doesn't even love me, right? Right, and so, so God is saying, th- in a, in an effort to display in a in a um, 
because we know that that Old Testament was like a play, a theater that was going on to try to teach people that bigger picture. That big picture, that plan of salvation. Right. Right? It was a theater was what it was. Right. It was and, a, and they went... And it's interesting because we've taken so much of the Bible and we've twisted it into different ways. And so now it just seems like we have all these um, ideas and theological obstacles that prevent us from coming to Jesus or coming to God. You right. know, now it's it's like there's so many ways that as humans we put roadblocks in front of other people or or religious um, dogmas or whatever is a roadblock. And God mm-hmm. is saying, I'm trying to, you know, dispel all this roadblock so that you can see who I truly am. Yep. Yep. And so all of that chaos in the Old Testament was simply God trying to hold evil back to where he could bring a Messiah into view. Right. And so this, that's the prophecy in John in, in Genesis 3.15, is the, the, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. Right. And that's what it was. He's going to bring a Messiah in. And so all that chaos in the Old Testament is God's people and God trying to bring a lineage through history to where a Messiah at the right time could be born to a woman who was not a Jezebel, who was an upright woman who could raise a child right. And so But God there is, was a there was a um a Rahab in in Jesus in Jesus' lineage. lineage. Right. And thank God for that. <laughs> yeah. Because you know that's where you and I come in. Right. We're we're the we're the Rahabs or the Solomons that are went off the rails. You know we're the the and, and you see the Bible where people kept going off the rails and God is trying to preserve a people through time to where He can bring a Messiah when the time is right. And and lo and behold, He brings a Messiah when the time is right. When the people are the most religious as they possibly could be on the planet. And what did those religious people do? God is illustrating that if you have the wrong picture of God, you can be as religious as the most religious person on the planet and still nail God to a cross. Right. And that's what happened. And that And so and I think it was their built up um resentment and desire for revenge against other people and against the long history of their uh captivity or whatever it was with they they were looking for a power to come and to take out their enemies, mm-hmm. right? And God is saying, I am not that. I am somebody that's going to come in, use my power to win your enemies. And, and and to try to win you to clean up what's between your ears. Right, because you got the wrong idea as to what's happening of in Of what love universe. is. Yeah, exactly. what love is. Jesus was the way, it's always been the way. Remember he said, before Abraham was, I am. He's the great I am, and they also they they also said he also um, Paul says they drank from that spiritual rock. That rock was Christ. He's talking about the, all the people in the Old Testament, even when they wandered in the wilderness. And right. he, then, of course, Jesus says, "Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood." Um, that's a metaphor, right? Unless and, you assimilate my character, right? Unless you truly know me for who I am and the example that I've given you. So even at this point in time, after he's been with the disciples for three and a half years teaching them, he t- tells them, "If you had known me, you should have known my Father also." And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. But still, the disciples didn't understand, and they're saying, "Lord, show us the Father." And 
that you know, show us the father. That'll be says, good enough. Right, yeah. says Philip, and that'll be good enough. And and, and Jesus is like, ah, yeah. He says, "Have I been with you so long that you have not known me, Philip? Is it possible you do not see the Father in the works that He does through me? Do you not believe that I came to testify of the Father? How sayest thou then? Show us the Father. He that has seen me has seen the Father. And so Jesus did not cease to become. God, when he became man, um, he's always been God. Right. It's like a a stone. It was just a different facet of that same rock or whatever. Yeah. He actually becomes his creation so he can identify with the creation because God has got, like you say, so many facets that we as human beings have to look through a human lens to see God as we can only see him. Right. And so even though, you know, speaking to that point, even though he humbled himself down and became a human being, the Godhead was still his. Jesus alone is the only one who could represent the Father to humanity, and this representation the disciples had the privilege to behold for over three years. This was his main objective. He showed the Father in his life and, in most importantly, in his death. He died to propitiate our wrath, not God's. We are the ones who are angry with God. When man sinned, God did not change. We did. We blame God. We run and we hide from him. And we have been angry and revengeful and resentful ever since. And we've been hiding from him. And we blame him for everything. Exactly. We blame him for everything. And all he's doing is is he's trying to keep us alive, trying to, to um, attract us to him. And and I but I do believe I have to believe because it's my own testimony. I understand that God I believe that God understands our individual human plight because Well he uh, has to. Right, because of the evilness that's in this world that he did not um that he did not perpetuate or or um give power to, he recognizes the evilness that we have experienced in our own individual lives, and he understands why we're angry at him. And we're why, tainted. We're not seeing the full picture. Exactly. And but yet he will come alongside of us and take us step by step, so that we can have that truer picture of him. Yeah, I mean, once once you're accused of something, which the devil's the accuser of the brethren, he's been accusing God as being vengeful, angry, severe. He's been accused of, accusing God from day one that God's not fair and there's a better way. And once you're accused of something, the only way that you can, you can't, you can't claim that away. You can't just say, no, I am love. And, and we just can't go to the Bible and point to God says that he's love, so that must mean he's love. He has to show it, and he does show it by sacrificing Jesus. To, in other words, giving Jesus, as a, for lack of a better term, a, a bouquet of flowers to us, reaching out to us, saying, look it, I'm here, I'm approachable. Look at my son. Hear him. Remember, he said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. He is describing me, and I love you so much that I'm willing to give him up to become one of you so that I can communicate better with you. And then Jesus, on the flip side, is saying, I have all power throughout the universe. 
And I'm going to use that power to do anything and everything I can to reconcile you back to me. And so what's he going to do? He's, he's going to kneel down and wash a dozen pair of dirty feet. Right. He's Ex- going to wash his betrayer's feet. Exactly. Well, and Peter's too, right? Yeah. He was a betrayer as well. Yeah. So so this is, and he won Peter through that. Right. But Judas wouldn't, would couldn't hang with it. You know, it just, it was not the right Messiah for Judas. Right. So the question is, is who, and that, that, that's the title of the program, who, who is God? Right. Who, what who does do he you, look like? Who do you know God to who, be? Who do you know God to be? And, and so, you know, I encourage everyone, look at Jesus because that was his whole mission. Remember, he said, I finished the work for you, that you gave me, to, and he hadn't gone to the cross yet. Right. And he's praying to God. He says, I finished the work that you gave me to do. That was to show us who God is. And it's fascinating that God would stoop down, become his creation so that he could relate and interchange and interact with his creation. Just fascinating. We're going to have to wrap it up. That was a quick program. Um, But anytime that we do get involved in talking about the character of God, it seems to go quick. Remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle. The other is like everything is a miracle, and you have the freedom to choose. Do I love my neighbor? Do you love them? Can I feel his pain and his need? Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There is truly hope for people whose lives seem to be overrun with problems, unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that biblical principles do work. They've authored resources available to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Seven Steps to Freedom, or the book, Could It Be This Simple, The Way Out of Your Prison? Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.